If you would please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is where we are today. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we come before Your Word, we ask that You would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to know, hearts to embrace, and hands to work out Your truth. Father, may Your Word that we have read and Your Word that we will consider strengthen us with patience and endurance to run the race set before us. And Father, while we are running, may we rest in the confidence that the good work begun in us will be carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are here at week 16 in our series, The Gospel According to the Bible, an exposition of the letter to the Galatians. We spent nearly two years in Mark where the question was, who is Jesus? Here we're spending not that long, but probably a good four to five, maybe six months in Galatians, answering the question, what is the gospel? We've been seeing as we've even been through Galatians thus far that the gospel both establishes the church, it matures us. The gospel is not just the first few steps, but it's really the A to Z of the Christian life. It's not, as I like to remind myself and others, it's not just the entrance ramp and then you're under your own power on the freeway. No, the power of the gospel, which Paul tells is, 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 is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, it It's from beginning to end. We never leave it. It's the one message that both the unbeliever, of course, needs to hear. Think about Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. He's preaching the gospel, by the way, from the Old Testament, to unbelievers. And they come to faith. And what is Paul doing? He's writing this letter in response to a crisis brought about by false teaching. And he's proclaiming the gospel to professing believers. The gospel, Paul knows here, is under threat. There is a clear and present danger to the church. And so what does Paul do? He can't get there. But he writes a letter. And that letter is six chapters, 149 verses, can be broken down really into three parts. The first two chapters, Paul's autobiography, his personal defense of his apostolic authority. Then in chapters 3 or 4, it's theology, Paul's theological defense of the gospel message that he has been proclaiming. And finally, in chapters 5 and 6, it's ethics, Paul's practical application of the gospel message to the lives of his hearers. Now, as we saw last week when we started chapter 5, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, the move is made from theological exposition to practical exposition theological application. And where does Paul start? What is his first point? Look back with me just briefly to verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul starts with freedom. His first point about freedom is this. 
Don't lose gospel freedom by slipping back into legalism or some form of works righteousness. All throughout verses 1 through 12, it is don't lose gospel freedom. Next week, we'll see in verses 7 through 12, kind of Paul taking a personal aside. But then, in verses 13 through 18, we will see not don't lose gospel freedom, but don't abuse gospel freedom. Because as we will see, this freedom really will constrain us. It will constrain us to love. To love. Last week, those of you that were here, we looked at Galatians 5, 1 through 6 in freedom and faith. We saw standing firm in freedom. We saw there the grammar or the logic of the gospel. Because Christ has set you free, be free. Stand firm in that freedom. And then in verses 2 through 5, we distinguished between the false and the true, between circumcision and Christ. And we saw the move from Paul talking about you to Paul talking about we. And then in verse 6, we saw expressing through love a working faith. Well, today, even though I'm very tempted to speed up, and hopefully this won't go too terribly long, but we're actually going to slow down a bit, to stop and dig a bit deeper. I was all prepared to go into verse 7 through 12 until a few days ago when I couldn't get out of verse 6. And I think we as a church need to spend some time in verse 6. So let me ask all of us a question. I appreciated the uh, great responses to the questions we asked earlier, and they were very simple questions, weren't they? Yes. Here's another simple question for all of us. Do you want your life to count? Do you want your life to matter? Do you want to spend your time, your talent, your treasure on what truly counts, on what really matters? You know, I think um, those answers are all yes, right? Everybody wants their life to count. Everybody wants their life to matter. Believe it or not, Paul wants his life to matter. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. He said, Toward the end of uh, verse 2, I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul does not want a life in vain. He doesn't want to run in vain. He wants it to count. He wants it to matter. Well, how do you make your life count? How do you make your life matter? Is it to go down to a book? Are there bookstores anymore out there? Are there a few? You remember that there used to be the self-help um, section, right? You want your life to count matter, you go there. Well, how do we make our life count? How do we make sure our life matters? Well, by ordering your life, by orienting your life around what counts, what matters. Isn't that amazing? You want your life to count? Then make sure it's ordered or oriented around what counts. What matters? And so before we go on in Galatians, we're going to spend some time on this breathtaking, this shocking, this stunning statement of verse 6, where Paul makes clear what counts, what matters. 
In my study, I ran across a commentator by the name of uh, E. DeWitt Burton, who was writing an exegetical commentary in 1921, and I'd never heard of the man before, but this is what he says about verse 6. For the disclosure of the apostles' fundamental idea of the nature of religion, there is no more important sentence in the whole epistle, if indeed any, of Paul's epistles. Well, with something like that, I mean, we've got to spend a little bit of time in verse 6. Because in verse 6, Paul will answer the question, what counts or what has value? What's the bottom line? Um, some of you may know that I can be verbose, right? A little too wordy. And what do some of you say? Cut to the chase. What's the bottom line? Put all your words on the shelf and give us the bottom line. Give us the takeaway. Verse 6 is kind of like the tweet in many ways, of Galatians. To be sure, there's justification by faith. He says it three times in chapter 2 in one verse, three times in a row, but I don't know if that would fit on Twitter. But this will. What is this? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. I believe that will fit the 140, what is it? 140 characters now. His answer, we will see, is expressed both in negative and in positive terms. First, he's going to tell us what doesn't count, and then he'll go on to tell us what does count, what does matter. In other words, Paul says, not this, but rather that. So for those of you taking notes, there's really just two points. The first point is the first half of verse 6. What counts? Not outward appearance. What counts? Not outward appearance. And then the second point will be, what counts? Outward action. Outward action. So, what counts? Not outward appearance, one way or the other. First, not circumcision. Paul, remember, has been responding to false teaching. That these false teachers, known as Judaizers, were, were saying, in many ways, you've got to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. Because you Gentiles, you don't have what we have. You don't have the history and the covenants and the laws. So in order... To, to be right with God through Jesus, you need to also be circumcised. And that's made very clear in Acts, Acts chapter 15, when the apostles had to meet and decide what to do about this once and for all. This is a skirmish in the big battle on what is it? Is, it, is, is faith in Christ all that is necessary or is faith in Christ not enough? My friends, the false teaching that the Galatian church experienced is the same false teaching that all of us are surrounded by as well. Sure, the friends say faith in Christ is necessary, but they'll say also at times, but it's not enough. And Paul is responding. And he says, neither circumcision. And when he says circumcision, he's bringing together, it's like a, a shorthand way of saying all of the law, all of the Jewish Torah that 
that that is not necessary. What is necessary is faith in Christ. He's not, and this is important, notice he's not content merely to prove that circumcision is of no avail, no value, no good. He, he readily admits that uncircumcision is equally valueless. Now, have you noticed that, that we are all proud people? We are proud at times of what we do, and we look down on other people for what they don't do. And guess what the other people do? They're proud of what they don't do. Paul is saying he will not allow the Gentiles to boast of his uncircumcised state any more than he will allow the Jew to boast of the sign of the covenant. In other words, imagine that dynamic going on. Oh, well... You have to be circumcised. There's pride. Or how about this? I am not going to be circumcised. And I'm better because I'm not. There's pride there too. And Paul is wielding the sword of the truth in both directions. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Both states are now totally and equally irrelevant in Christ. Now, circumcision is in many ways an indifferent matter, but it's an, an important matter. Think about with me Paul and Timothy and Titus. Both Timothy and Titus were Gentiles. They were Greeks. They were not Jews. But both are missionaries and both are working with Paul. And Paul allows Timothy to be circumcised in order to help him in his work among the Jews. But Paul refuses to allow Titus to be circumcised. Why? Because some Jewish Christians were insisting that he had to be circumcised. And we see that in Galatians chapter 2. So Paul declares, first of all, what does not count. What does not matter. Outward appearance circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. But Paul is a good teacher. He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't leave a vacuum so that anything and everything could come in and be the answer. Isn't that interesting? Paul clearly says what doesn't matter. But if he were to just stop, then it's a fill-in-the-blank question on a test. Anything and everything could come in. But no, he doesn't do that. He does not leave his reader then or now hanging. He provides the answer as to what does count. Well, let's explore the answer that's given in our text. What counts? Paul will now draw our attention not to the form, but rather to the faith and to the fruit of faith. Outward appearance, observances are all unimportant when compared with faith working through love. Now some people, and to be sure, this is somewhat of a difficult expression to translate into English and every translation is an interpretation. What does faith working through love mean? Well, let me make a few general comments. First, we are not justified by love. Because then that would be just another form of justification by works. Faith is faith. Love is love. 
But we will see, especially as we go further in Galatians, that love is the outworking of genuine faith. Let's start and very briefly look at faith working through love. Faith. John Calvin writes this, It is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. He expands it by saying this, It is not our doctrine that the faith which justifies is alone. We maintain that it is invariably accompanied by good works. Only we contend that faith alone is sufficient for justification. J.I. Packer in his marvelous book, Knowing God, picks up on that and says this, What saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And we have a great, clear discussion of that in our Confession of Faith, chapter 11, paragraph 2 of Justification, which reads this, Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith but worketh by love. You want to know where the Westminster Divines got worketh by love? Galatians 5, 6. Think with me about Paul. You know his conversion story. On the road to Damascus to persecute the church, zealous, Jew of Jew, Hebrew of Hebrews, doing God's will, and what happens? He meets the resurrected Christ and his life is changed he is given the gift of faith and does Paul boast of that absolutely not he knows it's a gift faith working through love the faith that works is a faith that's a gift it's been given but notice it's faith working Some translations say this, expressing itself, making itself known, becoming visible. Those are rather weak descriptions of what's going on. Working. Working. It's where, kids, we get our English word energy. Energy. Working. Power. Paul will use a a form of the same word in Ephesians 3. According to the power at work within us. According to the energy at work within us. In Colossians 1.29, I know the women have been studying Colossians. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works in me. This power is supernatural. As you notice, it goes to... Chapter 6, verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Paul wants to make it clear, but he writes a new creation. A new creation is this faith working through love. Faith is not idle. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we talked about last week, is connected to verse 10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And as you heard in the New Testament reading from James chapter 2, 
Paul and James are on the same team. They're dealing with some different issues. They're both acknowledging that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But they're having to deal with the threats that they're facing. That's why they appear on the surface to be contradictory. They're not. As even Galatians says, when Paul wanted to make sure his gospel uh, was... um, when he went back to Jerusalem and met with the other apostles. Faith working. Think about Paul. Look at at Galatians. What is Paul doing? He's working. He's struggling. He's toiling through this letter. Why? Because we'll talk about this in a minute. He loves the church. He's he's planted the church. He loves the people. He He is... Uh, astonished and he's perplexed at what is happening. It's a faith that Paul himself knows it's a gift. It's working. And it works through love. It works through love. Paul will write in Romans 13 that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. A gentleman by the name of Francis Burkett says this, Faith and love must be inseparable companions. There is a necessary connection between them. Faith without love is no living grace, and love without faith is no saving faith. Paul loves. He's speaking the truth. He's writing the letter. He's encouraging folks To be able to distinguish the true from the false. He's asking questions. He is working. And this work is expressed through his own love. Paul recognizes that faith is not just intellectual understanding. It is rather a life-changing commitment. And we see that in the life change in Paul. Did you notice again that all of this is in Christ Jesus? It is in Christ Jesus that neither circumcision and uncircumcision are important. Because it's in Christ Jesus. And what is relevant in Christ is a faith working through love. I mentioned this weeks ago and now it's becoming clear. Why does Paul spend so much time beating the truth of justification by faith into our hearts? Why? Well, yeah, because we forget it, right. But why? Why? Remember, chapters 5 and 6 are the practical outworking of the truth of the gospel, of justification by faith. And we see that it leads off with freedom and it will go into service, primarily love. My friends, if we are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone and not because of what we do, then we are freed up to serve and to love. In our Sunday school class this morning, somebody mentioned a book about the selfish gene. Sounds like a great book that scientists are trying to figure out why, why on earth is, you know, why are we selfish? You know, is there a gene? 
How about Genesis 3 explaining? But here's the thing. We are hardwired to think about us. We curve in on ourselves. But when we meet Jesus, all of a sudden, we are able to look outward. First of all, to Him and to others. You want to be able to love people well? You want to be able to love your wife, love your husband, love your children, love your neighbor, love people in this church? Justification by faith is absolutely essential. Because you're not working to justify yourself. You're not working to take care of yourself. You're freed up to love. To love. So the outward action of love counts because it demonstrates the inward reality of faith. The outward expression of saving faith is not circumcision nor uncircumcision. It is rather faith working through love. At the end of the day, it really is all about love. Turn with me to Mark 8. Mark 8. Those of you with us in our series through Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Beginning in verse 28, we read this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said, He is one, and there is no other beside Him. And to love Him with all of the heart and with all of the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Him any more questions. Jesus was asked, what counts? What matters? Paul says it well in 1 Corinthians 13, so now faith, which we've seen in Galatians, hope, which we've seen in Galatians, and love, which we are seeing in Galatians, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. But my friends, I've got some bad news for us. And some good news. Do this. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Do this and live. Do this and live, the scriptures say. Who can do that? Did you hear the Old Testament reading? Deuteronomy 10.16 Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Here's more bad news. The prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 8, 31. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. My friends, that is bad news. 
Who can circumcise the foreskin of our hearts? Who can give themselves a new heart? Jesus routinely spoke with people who thought they could do it. But my friends, here's the good news. Did you also hear Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6? And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. God commands and demands and my friends, God provides. He gives more good news. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart. Oh, my friends, God has promised to do heart surgery and to give new hearts to those who cry out for it. We don't need some kind of outward appearance of either circumcision or uncircumcision. My friends, we need a circumcised heart. We need a new heart. And my friends, there is only one person that can give us that. The Lord. Indeed, John was quite clear when he wrote... We love, we love God, we love our neighbor because he first loved us and he loved us through the person and work of Jesus. Good news for God's people. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are tempted to make outward appearances that which is important. But Father, your word is clear. What matters is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. But what matters is faith working through love. What matters is a new creation. And Father, we acknowledge that to get the faith that works through love and to, to, to be able to love from faith, Father, you have got to give it to us. So Father, we pray that you would give us a growing awareness that indeed we love because you have first loved us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.